Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. And uh, I'll tell you, you guys, I I know I open these shows a lot with, I'm really excited about our guest today. And and I always am because there's always really unique human beings who come in with really unique stories. Uh, Today's guest is somebody that I've admired from afar for a long time just because of his talent. But as I've gotten to learn a little bit more about him as a human, I'm even more impressed uh, with who he is and the difference he's making. You are going to know him. If you don't recognize his name immediately, you are certainly going to know his impact and influence on your life. Uh, Jimmy Yeary has been writing songs for the majority of his life. We're going to hear more about that a little bit a little bit later in the show. But he's, uh, he's just an amazing musician, singer, songwriter. He stepped in for a long period of time as, a, as the, uh, the lead singer for Shenandoah, performing hits like Mama Knows, Somewhere in the Vicinity of the Heart, um, he is today in Nashville and bounces back and forth sometimes between Nashville and, and L.A., and he's one of the most requested co-writers in the world. He's written now over 2,000 songs, many of which have been featured on albums selling millions of copies, Grammy winners, gold, platinum, you name it. 14 of Jimmy's songs have been certified number one hits by Billboard magazine. Song of the Year, I Drive Your Truck. You probably recognize that one for a while, uh, from a, while, a, little, a little while back. My son's favorite song right now, by the way. Uh, his most recent number ones, Everything's Gonna Be All Right. He wrote for Kenny Chesney and David Lee Murphy. And I Called Mama. You might recognize that one. He wrote for Tim McGraw. We're going to get into a little bit about what it's like to be a hit songwriter, uh, his why, and what he's into today. Because I know Jimmy's actually doing more than just songwriting today. He's out speaking, he's coaching, he's teaching. He's got so much he's doing that I want to introduce the, the world to that may not have heard of him or know about what he's doing to help them in their organization. So, Jimmy, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> it's awesome to be here. And uh, yeah. This is great. I'm, I I love to talk about songwriting and 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 relationships and and all of the stuff to do with songwriters. You know, I I teach a lot of uh, actual aspiring songwriters uh, about the art of songwriting, and so going in there and helping them see the connection between that and 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 our true emotions and how valuable that is. It's really fun for me. So thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And, uh, and I'll try not to nerd out as you go along on what we know about some of the neuroscience of why you're such an amazing songwriter. Um, but we'll weave a little bit of that in as we go, just for fun. Yeah. Um, so as you know, I forewarned you in the pre-show, the first question everybody gets is always let the audience who doesn't know your origin story, get to know a little bit about you, the, the early days, the, the, the origin story of Jimmy Yeary and how you developed into who you are today. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. <clears throat> I was raised in, I was raised in church singing in church. And my story is a little unique in that if I truly go back and tell you how I became a songwriter, then I would have to, uh, I would have to take you back to a little double wide trailer in, 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 in Kentucky where, where I, my dad and I, we had, uh, a very tumultuous relationship. Um, you know, if I if I pinpoint the moment, I remember standing inside of a of that trailer and 
and my father, and this always makes me a little bit emotional because, because I'm, I'm actually going back to, to that, uh, to those, those hard moments as a child. But, but it really did this, this did create me the desire to want to feel so other people can feel my father. Uh, I was about 12 years old and he, and he smacked me uh, really hard. He would hit me with an open hand across the face and, and this uh, would happen quite often. But I remember in this particular <clears throat> moment. So, so he does that. And of course I would, I run uh, from him to try to get away from him. And he chases me down uh, to the other end of the trailer and he, and he smacks me again. And I remember getting away from him and running and ending up in the, in the living room. And he, and he grabbed me and he, and he went to smack me one more time. And, uh, and I ducked and he missed me. And, and I started crying and I knew while I was crying that, uh, that it was, uh, you know, dad didn't like crying. He, he thought it was weak. And so, and not unlike an eighth grade school bully, uh, he, he laughed at, he kind of laughed and, and snickered and he said, you know, oh, you've got it so rough, Jimmy. And I, I, I was thinking, yeah, I do have it pretty rough. You know, my dad's uh, putting his hands on me and I don't know why. I never really understood why he, he, he did it, why he was so angry at me. I still today don't fully understand that. But, but that evening, I remember I, I told myself in that moment, I'm not going to waste any more tears on my father. Um, I'm not going to be that vulnerable with him and give that away to him. Um, but I, I wanted to get that emotion out. And I grabbed my guitar <clears throat> and I, I went into the bathroom and I sat on the toilet, toilet seat down <clears throat> because of the acoustics in, uh, in, in every bathroom are amazing. And I just today, I'll sit sometimes going to the bathroom and just sing songs and write songs. But I, I remember uh, with, <clears throat> excuse me, with ideas. And, and emotion. And I, I remember wanting to cry like I couldn't in front of my father. And I, and I would just like, you know, I know things are hard right now, but maybe tomorrow they'll be a little bit better. And I was just getting all this out and it felt so good. It felt like a good cry. And, and then I became addicted to that. I became addicted to, to just feeling uh, and putting my emotion into lyric. And so I would, uh, every day I'd get off that school bus and I would run inside and I'd, uh, I always had to make a makeshift pick out of a baseball card because I never could keep up with the one pick that would buy me. And, and so I'd go back here in that bathroom and I would, I'd make up songs. I would make up, uh, songs about being the hero, about being in love. I was not a, uh, you know, I was an odd looking kid, but if I could have got a girl, she would have broke my heart like the girl in the songs I was writing. <laughs> so I was addicted to it. I loved it so much. And then as I started performing these songs for, for different people, uh, family members and friends, uh, I noticed at the level at which I would feel these songs, they would feel them. They would just be a, a little mesmerized and I think shocked that they were feeling something, but that they weren't used to feeling because most people don't feel so others can feel. But I noticed that the level at which I would feel that they would feel and at the level at which I didn't oftentimes in songs, they didn't. They didn't. So, so that that became very powerful for me in 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 the sense that I understood if I could feel it, I could I could connect with people, and and that became uh, addicting, and 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 it felt wonderful. And that became what I wanted to do. I mean, I remember just thinking, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I love to create from a place of 
of, t- of my story, how I feel and, and, and be able to, to, to cause that reaction and that healing component that comes with feeling so other people can feel. There's an intrinsic need we all have not to feel alone. And when you meet that need, it's powerful and it's immediate. And, and so I just, I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. So eventually, um, my father passed away right before I graduated high school and I called a Greyhound bus, kissed mom goodbye, called a Greyhound bus and went to live with my uncle who knew some musicians in Richmond, Virginia. And it was, it was game on. I just started bands and started singing at night and writing during the day and dreamed of moving to Nashville one day, which, uh, which I did when I was 24. So 24 was the transition from your uncles at Virginia. You had enough experience under your belt to feel like you had enough to go to Nashville. And then you, you show up in Nashville, you know, we're picturing those movies, right? You're showing up in Nashville. Here comes this guy kicking around his cowboy boots and his guitar, uh, you know, over his shoulder. Like, what, what was that like? Would you know anybody in town at Nashville or did you no, kind of show up? And- not really. I mean, I knew, I knew a couple of shysters and, and I was really ignorant. And it wasn't a pretty story, you know. Uh, it was it was a lot of a lot of uh, you know ramen noodles and a lot of playing bars and making thirty dollars and choosing at that time to uh, to to drink it away just to numb a lot of the anxiety and fear and I was feeling and the insecurities I was feeling and but still I just the one un, uh, underlying. Uh, thing that I did through all of that fear and that uncertainty and that I'm in this new world. And I, you know, I'd been so kept away from anything. It felt like that was, that was actually, actually the world. Uh, I thought it was about this big and turns out it's a, it's a planet. And, and it was just so scary to me, but every day I would get up and, and practice that, that, that art of songwriting and, and try to hone that craft. I would try to go to songwriting shows and listen to real songwriters. And, and I just remember always uh, being, uh, having uh, a, a sense of humility that I didn't really try to have. It was just, I was always so, I think insecurity uh, uh, helped me with my humility. And, and, but just, I wanted to learn. I wanted to know if they're successful, how can I be successful? But then fighting the, 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 the emotional tur- turmoil of feeling like that I wasn't good enough, wasn't smart enough, because I never was taught I was smart enough or good enough. So I had to combat that and learn how to deal with that and, and, and learn how to, to fight through that. And, 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 and that was a learning process that, again, I wasn't really given those tools. And I had to learn them on my own. And, uh, yeah, so that was a, it was a pretty wild ride in the beginning. And then it's, I love what you said because I think all of us have insecurities, but sometimes they manifest themselves as humility and other times it manifests itself as hubris. And everybody's a little bit different in that regard. And you can see it in somebody, but you know, it's always the more, obviously we travel down the road, the more we can look in the rear view and see that in ourselves, but we can see it in others a little quicker. Um, now, when you think about at Nashville, your first, what would you call your first break? Was it a, was it a song that you got cut uh, from another artist? Was it a chance you had to sing? What, what was that? Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah. It, I think of two uh, instances that were huge game changers for me. Um, I had a record deal. I had gotten this record deal on on DreamWorks. And so it was just came out of nowhere. So you would think this would be the big break. And it really was 
at the time. But as a songwriter, I had nobody had recorded any of my songs. I was I was focused a lot on singing. There were uh, uh, there were a lot of people in town that thought I, I was going to be a big deal in as an artist. And so Jane Stroud, who was the head of DreamWorks, uh, who was instrumental in, in starting the careers of many artists, saw that in me and wanted to sign me. So I'm over at DreamWorks. Some time passes and there is a merger with Geffen and Disney and all this happens. And so there's there's another artist who's also a very traditional, uh, traditional artist, country sounding artist. His name was Daryl Worley. And so we're both being brought up as as we're going to and they're trying to figure out who they're going to put out first what well, daryl's album is done i went through some throat surgery so i mine was delayed and so i after the merger it was decided that we're going to move forward with daryl we're going to let you go and so james stroud calls my manager tells me asked me to come in i come in and and he and he explains everything to me and but as I'm leaving the office after just losing a record deal, he says, oh, I just wanted to tell you also about you probably already know, but you got a Randy Travis cut. And I'd never had a, 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 a Randy was my hero. I mean, I grew up just idolizing this guy and learning all of his songs. And and back before I knew all of his dark side. But uh, but yes, yeah, so I sit there in tears listening to my first cut ever in the very moment that I lost my record deal. So it was a. A, a pretty extraordinary moment. So leaving there and realizing, hey, I can do this. This is possible. That was a game changer, right? So it's just, uh, uh, that was extraordinary. But then uh, uh, about a, eight months later, Joe Diffie was at a show I did downtown. He comes to me after the show. He was another hero of mine. I didn't know he was there. And he just walks up and says, hey, two of those songs you you uh, sung, I'm going to record those. I was nobody. I was nothing. I, I had... And he records them. And one of them was a single and it was a top 10. So then it was, hey, not only can I create something uh, for other people to feel and connect with, I can do that with an artist and I can actually get on radio and hear my song on the radio. That became extraordinary. And just the faith builder of that, right? When any endeavor you have, when there's some level of success that you tell yourself you're capable of, but a great portion of your mind says, I can't do it. I can't do it. What if I can't do it? What if I fail? When you get that validation, it's huge and it's fuel in your, in your tank. Now, were you still at that time, not sure if you were going to, so you go like, okay, I get it. I, some folks are going to cut some of my songs. That's great. I got Randy Travis. I got Joe. Were you still thinking, well, I'm going to go down the artist path as well. Were you trying to do both of doing a parallel path at that point? Yeah. Yes, I, I was, you know, there was a lot of, again, there was a great deal of, I didn't even know what ego was. I didn't know what reverse ego was. You know, I didn't know that uh, that, you know, some people thought they were better than other people. But but uh, uh, but you can also think you're not as good as everybody. And that causes this this impression that you're better than everybody because you're trying so hard to be cool and to be relevant. Mine was always just that reverse ego. I was just always, you know, so so I had I wanted to be an artist. I think I, I mean, I love to perform so much. But just to have people finally go, hey, you're not an idiot. You're not what your dad said you was. You're not what the kids in school said you were. Uh, da da You know, so, yeah, I chased that pretty hard. But still um, writing more. I, I think the, when I, fi- I had a deal later on uh, as well on Atlantic, lost that. Once that happened, I 
just decided I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop saving all these songs <clears throat> for everybody else. I'm gonna uh, for myself rather and offer them to everybody else. And and so that's when I really just went uh, <clears throat> straight into the the just the creating and focusing on other artists and what uh, and studying their music and what uh, trying to read their their uh, uh, what they would do next and 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 such. So yeah, that's when that. I guess that was around uh, 2000. Okay. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question. At some point, I know, you know, because we're wired a little bit similarly this way, you know, you're, you're pursuing this almost for that self-identity. Like, I, I want to be validated. I'm not who I thought I, that, that I was told I was when I was young. The validation over your identity. But at some point, it flipped for you to where you started to recognize that, yeah, I, I can write songs and I can sing and all that, but I've been making it about what I can do my purpose is probably more the inspiration with which is coming out of these songs and what, how it's affecting other people. Do you, do you, was that a moment for you or was it just kind of over time you started to really realize that was your purpose? It was about others, not as much about what you could accomplish, but about what others experienced through your gift. That is correct. You know, that's when I've, you're, you mentioned, and that's awesome, that my purpose. And figuring that out happened probably even as uh, with the first number one I ever had was a song on Rascal Flatts called Why Wait? And it was about getting married quickly because uh, my wife is Sonia Isaacs, uh, Yuri with the Isaacs and their gospel group and they travel the world. But I, w- we got married uh, pretty quick. We did, I mean, we would have been married a couple of days after we connected, but we waited just so everybody wouldn't think we were nuts. But I wrote a song called Why Wait? And, and I remember thinking that there aren't a lot of people you know, I don't believe the artists are going to want to cut this song about getting married quick. Who wants to hear that? But people just, but I felt that song with everything inside of me and I was going to write it no matter what. And to, to have the rascal flats who, who, who became great friends of mine later on, uh, but to have them connect with that, to have the record labels connect with that, to have the audience, millions of people connect with that. And then to, to, to hear the stories about how it affected people's lives. And that's when I really, really, it became evident that, hey, if I feel it, you can feel it. And if you feel what I feel, there is a connection. And that connection forms a friendship. It forms trust. You suddenly trust me. You suddenly are willing to walk up to me and act as though we've known each other for years. I mean, I, there's no inhibitions. You're, you're telling me about your kids. You're telling me about your marriage, how y'all got. And I'm like, I don't even know you. But wow. If I can just feel and be vulnerable and authentic and accessible and step into that uncomfortable zone of telling my story, oh my goodness. And so that's when it, that was truly a game changer for me. That's when it became about helping others. And if I can just focus on helping others by telling my story, I get to be more successful as well. How cool is that? So, so let's just see, was there, was there a correlation? Your first number one hit, you have this epiphany and aha. 13 number one hits later. Isn't it funny how the minute you flip that script, it's almost like the blessing started to come. The gift started to manifest itself into a more powerful, have more influence. And uh, it's just like God to do that with us, right? Once we figure it out, it ain't about us. Then he starts to use us when we realize it's about other people. That's, that's so true. I mean, it's really fun to, 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 there's no set. You know, everybody like, how do you do it? What's the strategy? I don't, 
yeah, I've got a, a strategy and some techniques of how I write songs and connect with people and build those relationships. But ultimately, if I can just focus on others and help others and how, how is what I'm doing helping everybody else? And how can I not get so caught up in me, 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 which is our natural, I think, uh, intrinsic propensity to just want to, you know, how can I self-preservation, self-preservation. And I don't, I don't, I don't ever have much joy or success when I'm focused, the more I'm focused on me. So yeah, it's a great point. You just, you just use one of the terms we coined around here. We call it self-preservation orientation that from a biological standpoint, every human being wakes up every day in self-preservation orientation. And it really takes a lot of, of, of training and it takes a lot of time sometimes in the saddle to, to recognize that, that you're going to have so many of us walk around with the wrong pronoun on our lips all the time. And either through life punching us in the nose, uh, we can either be miserable for a whole life focusing on I and me, or at some point we all have this journey, right? Where we realize, and I think that's what I love about storytellers like yourself is you, you tell stories about your life through the, sometimes the eyes of another, of another artist, but it's really not, it's about our life. It's when you tell that story, when you tell, it just, you can see it, you can see it activates. And we know the mirror neurons in the brain, and we know the part of the brain that you're activating. We've done all that research. Most people don't realize when you bypass that analytical conscious network, the neocortex, and you activate that emotional network, the limbic system, people start to let all their defenses down and they start to project themselves into that story. It was funny last night. I tell my son, he's uh, 18. He's about to graduate high school and uh, he's a pretty analytical thinker, really high IQ, uh, way, way smarter than his dad. And we were driving in the truck to my, my sister-in-law's for dinner. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have Jimmy, Jimmy Yeary on my podcast tomorrow. Do you remember who that is? And he's like, is that the guy that wrote, wrote I, I drive your truck? I go, yeah. He goes, Can, let's just, let's play it. And I go, which, which version you want to hear? He goes, I don't want to hear your version, dad. I want to hear the real version. And, and he, he went Lee Bryce, right? I said, no, let's hear Jimmy's version. So I pulled up a YouTube of you doing it at the bull, uh, just acoustic. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so we yeah. played a drive, driving my sister. And I was just driving along and we pulled in. He'll probably kick me for, for saying this, looked over and he just, he had tears in his eyes. Oh, wow. He's heard this song a thousand times. He loves this song. And here's an 18 year old boy. And I said, why, what's, what, what triggered that emotion in you? He's like, I was just thinking if he named one of our cousins, I was just thinking if one of our cousins was in the war and that happened to them and I just got overcome with emotion. I'm like, that's, that's what, that's what you do, right? That that's what you do. And it's such a powerful move. And we know the science behind it, but at the end of the day, connecting people, projecting themselves into the story of your life and your songs, that's what it's all about. Well, that's right. It's interesting when you talk about the science of it and then, and then kind of what I'm doing. But in the middle of all of that is, is there has to be that vulnerability and that authenticity. And, that come, and the reason that's present and the reason it can make your son cry, uh, even though he's heard it a thousand times, you know, that every time I sing that song, I go back to when I wrote it because I imagine driving in my dad's old F-150, 74 F-150. I imagine riding on Pleasant Road, the road in front of the house I grew up in, burning out in Tom Mortimer's field, the, the, the neighbor of Tom Mortimer. I never burned out in this field, but if I was going to, I would have burned out in this field. And I imagined losing my brother. My brother's alive and well, but I imagined losing my brother to create the emotion so that when I wrote it, it was authentic and it was vulnerable. And if, and, 
you know, I can tell you about a tree in front of the house I grew up in and you'll see the tree in front of the house you grew up in. I mean, it's just, if I tell you my story, you see your story. Our stories are completely different, but emotionally we've all experienced the same emotions. And so it's about just telling your story. Yeah. And one of the things you're brilliant at, and we teach this a lot in business storytelling and communication with customers and, and coaching employees on our stuff is if you can evoke visual elements, if you can evoke, and I t- t- when I do keynotes, I tell people, close your eyes and I want you to stand on the road you grew up in or spent the most time on, look back at your house, trailer, apartment, and I want you to visualize it. I want you to tell me what color was it? What color is the door? What was in the driveway? And I get people to start visualizing this. And I share a lot of my stories along the way when I speak as well. The minute they can visualize that, the other parts of their brain that are there that have all the biases and all the filters and all the comparison analysis and all the evaluation side of their brain, it's off. It's literally turned off. And they're transported yeah. into this place where now they're open to where you're going to take me emotionally. And now in that yeah. scene, you're taking me somewhere in that scene and now it's my scene. Every single person that listens to your songs, it isn't, I'm literally, I'm sitting in my grandpa, my papa's green Chevy Silverado looking down at the ashtray, not knowing how much change was in it, but now I know it was 89 cents. Right. <laughs> right? So it's yes. that experience that you do. It's, and all great songwriters do it, but you, you certainly have a gift. So you talk a lot about vulnerability and we, we love that. I was raised by a Marine Vietnam vet post-traumatic stress syndrome, father, similar in some ways there to, to your, some of your experiences, vulnerability yeah. was not allowed in our house. It wasn't right. a word that ever even came across anyone's lips in our house. So what would you share with the audience today about what we've learned about vulnerability when it comes to the impact it has positively on our relationships? Well, I just have found in my life and in my career and in, in my relationships with my wife, with my kids, uh, with my co-writers, with Tim McGraw, it doesn't matter who it is. They don't ever seem to gravitate towards me when I'm trying to be a superhero, but they do when I'm vulnerable because everybody desires to look across from them and see somebody and be able to go, hey, that's me. I've been there. He understands me. She understands me. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I told my son the other day, the best analogy that I could give him was because I'm, he's such a great, uh, my oldest boy, he's almost 12 and, and he's, and he's really mature and he's, uh, and I try to teach him as much as I can, but you know, not bugging to death, but I'm like, listen, as you get older and as, as you're a leader in school and you're a leader in business and, 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 and you have leadership roles throughout life. Having strength is is so important. Having strength and character and boldness is so important. But if I could make a poker, like a poker reference, and we play cards all the time, I'm like, you know, when you get a full house, that's a good hand. To me, that's what strength is. But I think strength with vulnerability is a royal flush. It beats a full house every time. If you can be, and I've seen it, I've seen Publishers transform, publish, uh, transform publishing companies and turn it uh, from a two-year company with three number ones to five years with 29 number ones because of a leader coming in and letting the few writers at the time know that he was going through a very rough, tumultuous uh, uh, divorce and kids involved. And he felt like crying all the time. And there was a dark cloud over top of him. And he felt anxious and, and he knew it would pass, but he just wanted us to know because he loved us. 
And it gave us permission to, it helped us realize this guy's not a superhero. He's one of us. And all we wanted to do was rally around him and grow him and grow us and grow that company. And so, yeah, vulnerability is so powerful. Yeah, again, you don't go around crying and boohooing and, and this is what's all the tragedy in my life. But strength with vulnerability, if all you're utilizing is strength, then you're depriving uh, your, your greatest potential. If there needs to be moments where those people know that you are human and you hurt and you're, and you're not perfect and, and that's powerful, that helps everybody realize, hey, thank God we're all human. We need that reminder. Uh, in and out of business. And I love that. And one of the fine lines, and we try to teach people to recognize this is if you're nothing but vulnerable and you're that person, then nobody wants to be around that either. Like you're constantly, oh my gosh, here comes Jimmy throwing himself a pity party again. That guy needs to, he just needs to be on the Dr. Phil show. I can't, it's that almost like that strategic vulnerability that where you, because of the strength you're talking about, when I mirror those two together, it's like strategic vulnerability for the purpose of helping someone else uh, feel safe or helping someone else feel something, right? Not yourself. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you just need to kind of go let it out and have a good cry. And so you need somebody to console you and be empathetic. But for the most of the time, our vulnerability is our strength when it's used as a tool to help somebody else uh, feel safe. Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. And I think a great example is, listen, I got to know Terry Bradshaw really well because I met him at, a, at, a, at a, an award show one night. We became great friends. I end up going to Hawaii. Our family goes to Hawaii and I spend about 10 days with him, our family and, and, and Terry and his wife. And so we play golf every day uh, while I'm there. And, and I'm in the golf cart every day with Terry Bradshaw. And, but I remember for the first, that first day feeling so uh, intimidated because it was Terry. And I just felt like, man, anybody could be in this golf cart. And I, I don't need to be, what am I, what's happening? And but I remember him getting up to hit a ball about the third or fourth hole. And this is why everybody loves, it's why he's a great leader. And it's why everybody loves him because he was getting ready to hit the ball. And then suddenly he stepped away from the ball. And I said, Terry, what are you doing? He said, Oh, there's, there's some people driving over there on a cart. and I just don't want them seeing me hit a shank one in the woods. You know, I don't want to look like an idiot. Right. And I was just like, wait a minute. Just a guy. This is just a guy, you know, but it was just that little seed right there that just made me comfortable. It made me, I just loved him at that point. And, and I became his friend at that point because he wasn't, he was human. And so it's that, right? It's, it's strength, power, strength, boldness, intelligence, uh, education, principles, techniques, and vulnerability. Don't, don't be afraid to let somebody know you're afraid every once in a while. That's almost the secret ingredient, isn't it? I, you know, we talk a lot about that. There's two different types of trust. There's personal trust and professional trust. One comes from connection, genuine connection, and one comes from credibility, comes from my observation of your technical skill or knowledge or capability. And you could be a phenomenal songwriter. I'm sure there's great songwriters and artists in Nashville who nobody can stand to be around. We don't have to name any names, right. but I'm sure there probably right. is, right? And it's those people that are that are allowing you inside their the personal connection. And the only way to do that is through authenticity, humility, honesty, and the right amount of vulnerability. When you do that, man, doggone it, I can't help it. It's a human condition. I'm drawn to, to you, right? And you've yeah. been able to figure out a way to do that, uh, not only as a, as a person, but through song. And I think song, what I love about the idea of what you do with, with, with songwriting is 
it actually creates a safe environment for people to feel. Whereas sometimes if I'm in the boardroom or if I'm in a meeting or I'm in my family gathering or something, sometimes I don't want to, I don't want to feel or express that I'm feeling because I feel, I feel naked, right? I feel exposed, but music allows us to put those headphones in and allows us to go there yes. without a filter. That's right. And I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's right. Um, That's right. Okay. So let's, let's, uh, a couple of things I want to tackle on the stuff you're, we're, we're going to talk about your, your keynotes now in a little bit at the end and what you're speaking on and how you're doing that. If you were to give an aspiring songwriter right now who just walked into Nashville, he's been knocking on the Bluebird trying to get in there and playing a few songs, and, and you know, or she, when it comes to the craft of songwriting, what would be a couple of key points that you would say, hey, hey, here's a little bit of the Jimmy Yeary formula, and then I'm going to throw an idea at you and see if you can unpack it a little bit, how you'd approach it. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, it was... Again, that trying to help them understand um, the art of storytelling. But I would just, um, I would impress on them how valuable history is. And to, and, you know, you hear so much, just do what you do. And, and it'll all kind of catch up to you. And I used to think, I don't know about all that. Just do what you do. But but man, when it all came around full circle, I, I realized even more so, and it was it was proven to me that I'm I'm chasing what you think everybody thinks you ought to be doing is just not a great key to success, I find. Uh this is what they're doing. Uh I'm gonna do exactly what they're doing and follow their emotions and their heart. Um, I'm going to write what I think, uh, Blake Shelton, um, wants to, wants to hear. And, you know, uh, why do I tell a new songwriter? I don't know. Move back home. I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's so hard. There's so much to learn about being a songwriter, you know, that I, golly. So it's a tough one to answer in a one episode. We have to do a, a, tw- a 20 episode series in order to answer that question. Right. But I would certainly tell them to dip into, like you said, you stand on that road you grew up on, look back at your house, look at every fingerprint on that door, that the ones that were left by you and the kids, the ones up higher where there were fewer of them and your daddy would lean up there while, you, while mama brought out sweet tea or lemonade while he was working on the old truck and, and you know, and, and the doorknob that's three different colors because, you know, wore out in the middle from just being turned in and out, a screen that was ripped because you got to because you kicked it because you punched your brother and he put up his elbow and you broke your hand and your dad whipped you for about 12 minutes before he took you to the hospital. Tell your story. And if you'll tell your story, other people will see their story. I think that's probably the best, the best piece of advice. Well, and from a craft standpoint and and something you just did intuitively, because that's just who you are. I think a lot of people, even in storytelling and business, let alone songwriting, they want to be story reporters. So they want to just tell the facts of the story, not emote the actual activating the visual location of the story and put me in that narrative. And the only way to do that is to paint that picture the way you're doing it. So, okay. All right. So here's an idea for you. So I'm all right. You coach songwriters. So I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, all right, I, I got a brilliant idea for the next number one hit song. I've heard a lot of songs about trucks. I've heard a lot of songs about dogs. I've heard a lot of songs about whiskey. I've heard a lot of songs about breakups but I haven't heard a lot of songs about the personification of a guitar. 
And so I got an idea here. I'm going to give you a, a few lines from a, from a made, made up chorus I'm going to throw at you. And you tell me how you would start to attack the song like this. So this is a song about from the perspective of a, of a boy who maybe is young and then grows up and he got this as a hand-me-down guitar. The line is, this ain't just a box of wood with a hole in a set of strings. It's a jukebox with a maple top. And in the right hands, it's a time machine. What would you do with that idea? Would you even unpack it at all? Or would you be like, okay, there's enough there to start something? How would you attack a song like that? Well, I can just tell you, I would, uh, honestly, in a room, I'd go, hey, say that to me again. And the reason I'd want you to say that to me again is because I, I really liked it. Like, that was <clears throat> really, really good. I was really moved by that. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, whereas if you just said, hey, let's write a song about a guitar, I, you know, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, let's, uh, what do you got? Well, right. you throw out those four lines. <clears throat> you check off one of the boxes, which is you help me, uh, to, you put me two miles down the road and in, in, into my imagination. And because that's really good what you just did. I mean, I, my first response was you don't need me. I'd finish that on your own, make all the money. But uh, yeah, it was just, it was really, it was great. Um, obviously you have a knack and an understanding of, of, of painting those pictures and uh but I guess what my question would be for a new songwriter, like, would you, would you go, okay, let, we got to think about who's the subject of the song? Who's the, who's the main song about? Is it going to be about a father? Is it going to be like, how, how do you start to process? Like, it's about this guitar. I get that. But the, you know, the emotion behind it could be really cool. Do you start asking a series of questions or you just, do you just start throwing out ideas on the structure of the verses versus the chorus when you typically tackle a song? Yeah. I mean, I would think about it. <clears throat> it would be a lot of things. I would think about a title. I would instantly think about me when I was a kid and my first guitar and how that related to me because uh, I always want to tell my story. So you see yours. I would think about who it might go to. I think about Blake as the first person. Shelton uh, came to mind. I just could hear him, you know, going back there or maybe in Eric Church, you know, where it's, it's you know, um, singing about that first guitar and how that little box, that time machine uh, would take them back even when they're a kid. You still have a history when you're a kid. And, and then you get older and that history becomes greater and more significant. And, the, you know, our history is continuously growing and expanding and, and all of that from a guitar and the songs and, and what caused you to pick that guitar up every day over a baseball game outside or a football pickup game with some kids. And you chose to take that time machine made out of wood and whatever, take it back to the back bedroom and write songs. And I think about a girl that, that that heard you singing a couple lines at school at a talent show and she was the prettiest girl in school and you never thought you had a chance with her but suddenly now you do even over the football stars and uh, you know and and wow and that just builds a dream like hey i can do what i love and and uh girls will think i'm cool and i mean it's just so much to it that i i try to just take all of those images and those those my personal experiences and uh you know and just take it off with it but what you said was was very well written and uh, enough so that you, you didn't just go, hey, I want to write a song about a guitar. You know, you had a, a, some great images in there. So, so you're saying I love it too. It's for this is for storytelling in general, right? It's it's don't filter yourself. Get get a core of an idea, and then just start throwing that stuff out there and go back there in the in the in the visual memory banks and start to draw off your own life's experiences and and then eventually you can start. It's hard to cross off lines if you ain't created them, right? <laughs> you got you got to kind of build something. Oh, that's a great point you make there, you know, and unfiltered. It's, it's a great, but yeah, you know, I tell so many songwriters that, you know, because so many people got, Hey, I got this idea. You're not going to believe it. It's life change. It's, it's going to blow your mind. 
And I'm thinking to myself, it isn't. It's not. I mean, I don't care how good it is. You still have to write the song. You know, it's like paint. Right. It's like drawing me a picture of a house and then going, hey, I got it. You know, and then expecting me to just uh, building a house is very hard. So, but yeah, just, it's 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 again unfiltered. It's 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 going at it and and just putting. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I was going to say that. Uh, I'll tell a lot of songwriters. They're like, I have so many songs and they're not they're, they're not finished. I just they're, they're, you know I get so close and or I get to the first verse and I don't know what to do with the chorus. I have all these unfinished songs and I said, you know, your problem uh, right now is that you are unwilling to write a bad song. Mm -hmm. You cannot critique something that doesn't exist. Greatest thing you can do for yourself right now in your aspiration to be a songwriter is to write a bad song. Write a horrific song. Give yourself something that you can critique because what you're able to do that people don't realize is you get to come back a day later, two days later, three days later, when you are not the same person. Your perspective is different. Your your emotional levels and chemicals in the brain and, and experiences and where you're is completely different. So it's almost as though you're co-writing. So you get to come back and look at a finished product and go, okay, that's good. Or that right there is horrible. I'm taking that out. I'm going to redo that. I do that with my songs all the time and co-write with myself to, for the betterment of a product. That's good. Well, and you also mentioned co-writing. Co-writing, co I know with yourself is one thing, but collaborating, we, te we teach that as well. We believe everybody in, in business needs to have a coach that they can rely on. Someone who's going to give them feedback and help them craft and continue to improve. Probably similarly, right? You, when you have that third party person who's able to co-write and collaborate with you, their whole life. Now you're merging stories. So there's probably both challenges and advantages to that, I would bet. Yeah. You know, when you're creating something out of nothing and nothing and trying to feel something so other people can feel it, it really is for me, it's about, it's about, you know, there are those times when somebody asks you how you're doing when you need to tell them how you're doing. But like the first time I ever met David Lee Murphy, huge writer, was a huge artist. And I wrote, everything's going to be all right with him. Uh, I wrote uh, Anywhere With You with him for Jay Cohen, which is number one. Um, uh, I had a, oh, till it's gone for Kenny Chesney was number one. I wrote with David, but our relationship was born out of, I was going through a lot of stress. I had a new baby. I had just moved back in our house after living with my mother-in-law for two and a half months because we had mold in our basement and it was quarantined and it was just a lot of stress. But I remember the, him going, Hey, Jimmy, I'm, I'm David. The first time I ever met him, how are you doing? And I was like, you don't want to know how I'm doing, right? I just, yeah. Hey, go ahead. Tell me about it. And me knowing that, you know, helping others not feel alone, meeting that intrinsic need not to feel alone is so powerful, especially if you're going to create and be successful together. And me telling him all of that I was going through, I spilled it out in about 30, 40 seconds. And him instantly going, man, this is what's going on with my boy. He thinks he knows everything. And he starts telling me about his boy. And I can tell you that 10 minutes into our, First meeting, 10 minutes into it, we were no better friends today than we were at that moment. The power of getting, just put, laying it out on the table and becoming human as quickly as possible for the purpose of uh, walls come down. It's, I don't think he's Superman. He knows I'm not. And because we just gone, we all got crap. We all got triumphs and tragedies. And that's just my thing, you know, right or wrong. That's, uh, I just, I've, I've seen it work for me so many times. I just want to be, I want to be imperfect. I want to be, I don't, I don't have it together. So I don't, I, I struggle with ever trying to act like I do. 
um, I just, I, I wake up every day confused about certain aspects of my goals and strategies and, and things that I want to accomplish. And I get insecure sometimes about, I'll go speak at these huge corporations and they're so smart and they're so educated and they got so, and they're just, a, you know, $50 billion company. And I'm, and I'm, I'm fighting off the thoughts of why are you here? This is why, you know, but, but no, wait a minute. It's still about connection. And we all woke up today and tomorrow we might not. So it really is about us being human, vulnerable and connecting and just letting each other know that sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. And if you can find that out, you can grow a business together. That's great. Sounds like we're going to have to write a song on imposter syndrome because everybody I know, everybody I know <laughs> oh. has either either has it or has had it right at some point in their life. So true. So, uh, all right. So here's what we're going to do. First time we've ever tried to do this on the Drive and Change podcast, we're gonna we're gonna try to demonstrate for you this storytelling in in practice live. And and Jimmy's been gracious enough to allow me to t- participate in this. So if you if you're up for it, let, can we do a little I drive your truck? Yes, absolutely. So grab your guitar and <clears throat> here's what I would ask. If, if you're willing to, to to honor me, you do the first verse in the chorus. I'll do the second verse in the chorus. Okay, you got it. Can we do that? Do you, do you trust me enough with this baby to do that? Well, uh, absolutely, I do. Absolutely. We're about to find out how much of a connection we have. <laughs> either either way it goes, I'm going to enjoy it immensely. So. Uh... Eighty-nine cents in the ashtray, half fifty by the Gatorade floor. That dirty brace cap on the dash, dog tags hanging from the rear, old school can of cowboy boots and a gold party shirt. Hold it in the back. This thing burns gas like crazy, but that's all right. People got their ways of coping And I got mine I drive your truck I roll every window down And I burn up Every back road in this town Find you Tear it up Till all the pains are clouded up I drive your truck. I leave that radio playing the same old country station where you left it. Yeah, man, I crank it up. You probably punch my arm right now. You saw this tear rolling down my face. Trying to be tough Mama asked me this morning If I've been by your grave Well that flag of stone Ain't where I feel you anyway I drive your truck I roll every window down And I burn up Every back road in this town I find a field Tear it up till all the pain's a cloud of dust Yes, yeah, sometimes I drive your truck 
Good job, man. Good job. I'm that totally was impressed. That's a little bit of oh, a dream goodness. come true right there, Jimmy. I'll tell you. I, <laughs> oh. uh, man, I don't, I don't a, know how it's going to sound on the back end, but I know that uh, I'll, I'll keep it forever. So. Well, I didn't know if that. Yeah. Well, man, that's a great job. I didn't know if the guitar was resonating through in time and you know how the, the timing can be with, but, but uh, man, great job, man. And what an honor to, 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 to see somebody that I respect so much. Um, so connected to something that I helped create. And uh, so, man, that's, that's a real treat. Thank you. Oh, the treat was mine. Believe me. So let's talk a little bit now as we close. Um, I, I want people to know how they can find more information about you, book you, um, I know you're doing a lot, like I said, a lot more than songwriting. You're out doing a lot of speaking now for companies and corporations and events. Tell, tell people a little bit more about where they can learn more about you. JimmyYuri.com, the website. It's got, uh, it's got, uh, it'll show some of my talking points, um, some of my speeches and what have you. I do, a, I, yeah, I do a lot more of that these days. I enjoy it so much. Um, I do a little Yuri Chapel show. You know, I'm inside of a chapel that I had built from wood off of my property out of an old horse barn with a dirt floor that I'll do a show in on, on my Facebook page, uh, artist Facebook page, um, at Yuri Jimmy at, at Instagram. But yeah, and I, I periodically put out uh, uh, where I'm going to be and different events I do, songwriting shows um, and, and teaching shows and, uh, and what have you. So, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy going to companies and giving them a little bit of a break from the all of the maybe the numbers and the and the and the brain sweating sort of uh, uh, stuff that they hear so much entertain them a little bit, but also give them some strategies on storytelling and how you can tell a story oftentimes within seconds, just like a song does, to connect with people, to network for the purpose of selling a product, for a purpose of selling yourself uh, and and building a team and building a company, and how powerful that is. And I don't have to know anything really about that company uh, necessarily to know that foundationally we all, uh, it is required that we be vulnerable and connect and feel so other people can feel. So I'll talk about that, those strategies, which really are the same strategies I use to write songs because I'm, I'm a storyteller way more than I'm a songwriter. I'm just telling stories. That's right. I love it. So um, for, for those of you, the links will be in the description here, but Jimmy Yeary spelled, you know, Jimmy is Jimmy. Y-E-A-R-Y. So JimmyYeary.com. Go in there. You'll learn everything you need to know about him as far as where to contact him, book him. Go on, uh, look on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I know you got a YouTube channel as well. Just look him up on social media. Follow this guy. Follow this guy, not just to learn more about the craft and the art of songwriting. Follow this guy because he's got something interesting to say that kind of gives us a mirror. That, that, uh, that holds us up to the things that we want to be and we want to do. And uh, Jimmy, I'll tell you, I, I'd love to have you back on sometime. This has been an honor. It's been a blast. And I know the audience has gotten a ton out of having you as a guest. So thank you. Well, man, thank you. And I would love to come back anytime. Thank you so much, Jeff. You bet. You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, 
and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.